I'm Roman Johnson, and this is the Creative Sheep Podcast. Oh my goodness, you made it. Welcome to the Creative Sheep Podcast. On this podcast, we talk to people who are good at what they do to inspire church leaders to get better. And I'm especially excited about today's episode because we have an interview with Michael E. Gerber, who wrote the book E-Myth. Now, if you've not checked out this book, you, you need to do it. You need to get it and read it. It's got so many principles that can apply to building a church, especially if you're a senior pastor. So definitely check it out. But to give you some context, E-Myth has been named by the Wall Street Journal as the single most influential business book of all time. In fact, uh, Pastor Rick Warren, who started Saddleback Church, has referenced this book as the book that he built his church on. So I know you're gonna get a ton out of the interview today. I think we should just jump right in. So here is Jared Hogue interviewing Michael E. Gerber. My name is Jared Hogue, and today we have with us a true legend. His books are among the top-selling books of all time on the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Business Week, and Inc. Magazine, as well as many, many more. May I introduce to you the inventor of the iconic phrase, go to work on your business, not in your business. Welcome to the Creative Sheep Podcast, Michael E. Gerber. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm delighted, Jared. Thank you. Now, let's jump straight into it here. That iconic phrase, work on your business, not in your business. What does that mean? Well, it means very simply that people who go into business aren't really the entrepreneurs we like to think them to be but what I've come to call technicians suffering from an entrepreneurial seizure, meaning they create a job for themselves. And because they create a job for themselves, they end up being their business rather than actually owning a business. And that's true of all small companies and organizations of every kind. And so what happens rather than doing what entrepreneurs naturally do, which is to invent a business that works just like a product would work. Um, They go to work and do it, do it, do it every single day, busy, 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 and never really build it to scale. So the work on it means to transcend your business so you can transform your business. And the minute you understand transcending your business, your organization, the work that you do, you see, in fact, that you have a heightened or more objective reality relating to it. And that enables you to design it, build it, launch it, and grow it in a significantly more compelling way. That's fantastic. And one of the things you talk about in your book uh, that, that, that we feel very strongly and that has helped our business is having a strategic objective and really figuring out what is, your, your, what is the vision of the finished product that is and will be your organization. Why is it important to have uh, this strategic objective? Well, without knowing where you're going, you're not going to get there. That's so obvious and it's such a cliche. But the reality is very few people do have a clear aim. Um, We like to think of it in our new venture called the Dreaming Room in four different distinct ways. The dreamer, the dreamer um, of an entrepreneur, has a dream, and the dream is a great result. And 
So Muhammad Yunus, for example, in Grameen Bank, had a dream to eradicate poverty worldwide. Um, that's the end result that you're really looking for. That end result, then, needs to take form, and that form um, we call your vision. Your vision is the model for the company that you're going to invent that, in fact, is going to realize that dream. So you have to have a vision. You have a dream. You have a vision. You have to also have a purpose, and the purpose relates to the very, very clear and um, meaningful individual who you're going to impact. Who is your central demographic model consumer? What is it that they suffer from? What is their problem? What is it that you're going to bring to them that's going to make the whole difference? And finally, um, you have to have a mission. So you have a dream, you have a vision, you have a purpose, which is the outcome, and you've got a mission. And the mission is the invention of the system through which your company is going to be able to manifest the first three elements or components, you might say, that make it up. So all of that, you might say, comes down to your strategic objective. This is where we're going. This is what it looks like. This is what it's going to do. This is how it's going to do it. This is why it's going to do it that way. This is the meaning of it. This is the economics of it, and so forth and so on. And you begin to see then that you're inventing a product as surely as Steve Jobs invented Apple. And in fact, with you talking about Steve Jobs right there, uh, once you've nailed down your strategic objective. One of the things you talked about in your book, uh, E-Myth Revisited, is the fascination with the little things. Uh, and I remember in Steve Jobs' book, uh, the one that was written about him by Walter Isaacson right before he passed, uh, he talks about, he told the story, in fact, of when he was a child that uh, he helped his father build a fence. And he, he specifically referred to the nails that his father purchased for the fence and that it wasn't the cheapest thing that he could find. It wasn't, wasn't just any humdrum nail that his father took great detail in the nails that he purchased, which was fascinating to Steve because his whole, his whole mindset was, well, people don't see this. So what does it matter? But you actually talk about in the book, uh, and I don't want to go into too much of this, I'd rather you talk about it, but is how the great business people that you've known have a genuine fascination for the truly astonishing impact little things done exactly right can have on the world. Would you mind expounding on that a little bit more? Well, yes, and it's so, so, so important. Um, understand that if you're busy doing it, doing it, doing it, every single day driven by something that needs your attention, you can feel the distraction that creates, meaning you, you haven't the time, you haven't the attention, you haven't the focus, you haven't the interest in all the little parts and pieces of this extraordinary thing you're about to create. And when you understand that a business, an organization, people and things and outcomes is actually truly, potentially, an exquisitely designed product, a system, a method, a process, an outcome, a promise, then you begin to understand that all those little parts are absolutely critical to what it is you're inventing. 
And so Steve Jobs, for whatever reason, and tells the story of the nails and the, and the fence and his dad, for whatever reason, he was compelled to look at all those little things. And as he began to look at all those little things, he would be called um, and, and call everybody's attention to them. They'd begin to see them more clearly, begin to see the ramifications of this part missing or that part being added. And so the design of it included all of the very, very, very tiniest component parts that people thought Steve Jobs was absolutely out of his mind caring about so much. But understand, he knew that every single part was a part of the whole, and the whole was simply that, the sum of its parts, plus the perceptions of that by other people. And so he became that fascinated with all the little pieces. And everything we do, if we begin to see it this way, we begin to understand it. Um, with that, that mindset, and we begin to become interested in what part each of those pieces plays. And questions, questions, questions come from that. Being a leader, an entrepreneur, the head of an organization, uh, oftentimes we think that we have to have all the answers, that we have to be the smartest person in the room. Um, but your book actually talks about how... It's not that the genuine successful people that you've seen, it's not that they know everything, but it's their insatiable need to know more. Well, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm 77, and I know how little I know. And I have no idea, in fact, all the things that I actually don't know. And as we begin to look at our lives, we begin to realize how absolutely ignorant we are about everything begin to look at how governments work and begin to look at how absolutely ignorant we are about everything and how presumptuous it is for us to believe that we know even a, a small fraction of everything. The way that comes to mind, it's really interesting. As you begin to look at, for example, diets, and everybody who's listening to us knows about diets. Everybody here has gone into a physical regimen or a food regimen. And one minute it's carbohydrates, and the next minute it's fats, and the next minute it's this, and the next minute it's that. And every single time somebody brings out a new diet, we're brought new, in quotes, information that, in fact, is supposed to lead us beyond the ignorance that precedes it. But we know, you know and I know, that in fact the next one is going to tell us something completely different. So what do we know? And the more I, um, I grow, and as I grow, 77 to 89, God willing, I realize it's just one great mystery. And so it's like we begin with something and then we begin to watch it as it works or fails to work. And then we ask the question, so what's needed to make that work better? And we begin to understand the process that I talk about in the E-Myth Revisited, the most essential process of all, innovation, quantification, and orchestration. 
innovation, create a better way. Quantification, measure the fact that it is a better way by the increased performance of it. And finally, when we do that, turnkey it, orchestrate it, so that in fact we can replicate it faithfully and then begin the process again, innovation, quantification, and orchestration. And you can begin to see all that says is continuous improvement. Why? Because everything can be improved. And everything, in fact, is simply calling for us to improve it. And so we're constantly working out of ignorance, um, out of not knowing, becoming more knowledgeable, which is still not knowing, becoming more knowledgeable, which is still not knowing, and it's a continuous process. It's absolutely fundamentally true about every single organization and every single human being on Earth. And one of the things I love in your book is that you you preface the book by saying this is not simply a how to do it because books like that don't work. It's people that work. And you talk about having an idea that is that is worth people's time and and effort and energy for them to buy into this idea. How do we get people to buy in to our organizations? Well, the, the very first thing, we have to have a dream. We have to have a great idea. Um everybody's heard by now Martin Luther King's great speech, I have a dream. Well, the minute you listen to that speech, you understand what's missing in every organization. I've never met an owner of a business or, in fact, anybody who headed any organization who had such a compelling story to tell, who had such a compelling vision, who spoke with such um, absolute determination that this is something that must occur. Martin Luther King said it in his speech. But every great leader has exactly the same thing to say. I believe in this. This is so important. Look at what's going on in the world. We must, we have to do this. And people begin to listen and they begin to understand through the eloquence of that speech the story that must be told, the story that every small business must tell its own story, what drives it to be alive and well and grow and do the things it does. And as you begin to do that, people are attracted to you. And then as they're attracted to you, then you tell them the rest of the story, that in order for us to do this, there's got to be a system for doing this. And so we're all committed to inventing that system together because we believe in the outcome so much. And in in, in our works and in the day-to-day and with the people that are listening to this podcast, uh, the the everybody from senior pastors to, to creative directors to worship leaders to youth pastors and children's pastors, one thing that can be very frustrating in that, uh, in some of those positions, if you're not at the head, is that you're going to face challenges on a day-to-day basis, and you're going to you're going to face things. You're going to you're going to face pushback uh, from your leader that that it may not be in in line up with the vision that you think is best. Um, but uh, one thing you said in your book that really stood out to me is that are you an ordinary man or are you a warrior? What what do you mean by are you an ordinary man or are you a warrior? Well, an ordinary man in, in the book 
says that um, he takes everything as <laughs> everything that happens uh, as a curse, and a warrior takes everything that happens as a gift. And essentially, the gift that he's been given just by being born to do what human beings are here to do. If we're born in the image of God, we're born to create. If we're born in the image of God, as it said, we're born to create. But to create creates chaos. Because to create constantly takes us beyond the status quo. And the minute we begin to go beyond the status quo, we create confusion among the status quo. And as we create confusion among the status quo, we create pushback, create chaos of a sort. Well, the leader must discover the warrior within to engage that chaos, to engage that, the beauty of the idea that he's pursuing in order to create a better world. So we're here to create heaven on earth. We're here to create earth fit for God. Well, if that's true, and I believe in all my heart that's true, then in fact it means that we're dealing with all the forces that don't wish us to do that. If you don't believe there are all those forces that don't wish to do that, just look around you in the world. They're everywhere. They're constantly denying your right to do that. And in that place, that warrior comes alive. That warrior comes alive when he or she is connected to his or her being, being alive being here for that purpose. So that's our destiny. To the degree we're not warriors, to the degree we're not committed to that destiny, to the degree we're not truly, truly inspired by that calling, will collapse because it's overwhelming. One of the other things you talk about in your book is is uh, creativity versus innovation. And you quoted Professor Theodore Levitt, where he says, creativity thinks up new things, but innovation does new things. And within this, this section of the book, you talk about how your organization is your product and how you interact with your consumer is more important than what you're selling. So in regards to the church world, the product that we're selling obviously is is God. It's Jesus. Uh, we are packaging and marketing and and selling this product, essentially, and putting God and Jesus in front of people. But before people ever even get into your church, whether it's dealings in the parking lot, checking in their kids to the kids' classrooms, whether there's enough workers in the kids' classrooms, it's all how we're interacting with our quote-unquote consumer or our church members or our, our our attendees, whatever whatever our, the churches that are listening to this call, the people that come into their doors, um, you say in your book that in fact your organization is your product, and how you interact with your consumer is more important than what you're selling. Would you talk a little more to that? Yeah, I, I will. And what I'll also say is that um, to a pastor, to a church leader. Um, it's very, very important that when they hear what I'm speaking about, and my book has had a profound impact on countless churches throughout the world, um, synagogues throughout the world, 
um, every kind of organization throughout the world. It's very, very important that you don't take the word consumer and think it in your church. The people you're going to reach out to are not your consumer, and you're not marketing. So what in the world are you doing? Well, simply take the baseline understanding of the work I'm talking about. I had the, the, the delight and pleasure of being introduced at a TEDx speech that I had given by somebody I had not met, Pastor Rick Warren. An associate of mine said, Rick Warren's in the audience. Um, would you like him to introduce you? And um, I, I said, sure. And um, Rick Warren got up and said, I want to introduce you to Michael Lee Gerber, the author of the book I built my church on. And then he left. And I said, afterward to my associate, um, was that Rick Warren, Saddleback Church, Purpose Driven Life? He said, yeah, I got to talk to him because I had never spoken to him. And so eventually I did get to talk to Rick. He had asked me to come speak at a conference that they were holding at Saddleback on entrepreneurship. And um, I asked him, well, what did you mean by that? He said, your, your book has had a profound impact on the way we do what we do here at Saddleback. So I became much more involved with Saddleback. In fact, I've worked with the pastors at Saddleback and helping them apply the e-myth even more rigorously. And you've got to understand that when Rick Warren started Saddleback Church, he made up his mind absolutely clearly that the people that he was going out to attract to become members of Saddleback Church were people who didn't go to church. He was very, very clear about who the people he was calling on were, people who didn't go to church. So understand his clarity about people he was attracting were people who didn't go to church, which meant that Saddleback Church had to do something that no other church had ever really done to the degree Saddleback intended to do it. They intended to create a church for people who didn't go to church. Well, when you understand Rick Warren going down the street knocking on doors over 30-some-odd years ago to form Saddleback Church with his wife, Gay, um, when people were to say, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't go to church, he said, I got it. That's exactly why I'm here. Why don't you go to church? And they'd explain all the reasons why they don't go to church. And he said, wow. The church that doesn't do those things, in fact, the church that does the things you're actually talking about, you'd wish a church would do, that's what Saddleback is going to do. Come help me do it. Over 30,000 people in Orange County, California, belong to Saddleback Church. Think about that. Over 30,000 people. They have over 20,000 people come to church every weekend. Have over 7,000 people in their small groups in Orange County, California. No church has ever done anything like that. 
how? By thinking about what the church was there to do for the people it was attracting to it and the system through which they would do it better and better and better and better. So I've got no better example of the e-myth alive and well and getting better than the Saddleback Church. And Rick Warren, a true entrepreneurial leader of Saddleback, which is now growing worldwide. So understand the e-myth is simply not my idea, but the idea that comes from the world of great organizations that have been able to achieve scalability. That means that you can grow it from 300 people to 30,000 people, and the 30,000 people are experiencing it in the same way the first 300 people did. And in fact, when you do it that way, it can't help but grow. Everything grows. When something isn't growing, it means it doesn't work. Wow. And to that end, and kind of in closing here, I'm sure this is a question that that Pastor Rick's church constantly asks from the e-myth, and that's the question that innovation constantly and continually poses, and that is, what is standing in the way of my customer getting what he or she wants from my organization? Is that a one-time question, or is that something that we... We just, no matter what, whether we're 300 or 30,000, we have to continually ask that question. There is, there is no one time about Saddleback Church. It's in continuous state of evolution. It drives everybody crazy. It's a con- continuous state of evolution. Why? It's the evolution of the leader. It's the evolution of the people who are committed to it. It's the evolution of the people who work there, of the volunteers there. It's the evolution, the evolution, the evolution. As I evolve, I begin to understand things I never saw before. And as I begin to understand the things I never saw before, I'm called to do something about it. So I like to say there are five essential functions in every organization, the first of which is inspiration. And obviously, inspiration is key in the church. Inspiration has an outcome. It creates an epiphany. That epiphany, that breakthrough, that moment of clarity, that moment of seeing, is absolutely essential for everyone who goes and belongs to your church, as well as it is for everyone who works in your church, who leads your church. Inspiration is critical, but inspiration is insufficient. The second component, the second function, is education. Education produces understanding. So there has to be inspiration continuously in the church. There has to be education continuously in the church. But education and inspiration are insufficient. The next is training. You've got to apply what you're learning. And by the application of what you're learning, you begin to truly, deeply internalize it. You understand it more and more cogently. You understand it more completely. It becomes a part of you. And then you begin to do the next stage, which is implementation. Now that you've actually experienced it, now that you actually know why it works and is so important, 
to work that way. You now want to integrate it into your entire organization. And finally, the fifth component is continuous improvement. So inspiration, education, application, implementation, continuous improvement, continuously. So that's a moving process. Nothing is static other than when we quit being awake. And when we quit being awake, we become static. And for all practical purposes, we die. So this process is a living process. It never stops. Saddleback will continually be new because it's continually pursuing what it doesn't know to produce what it's committed to produce continuously trying to find a better way, a better way, a better way. Folks, <laughs> joining us today was Michael E. Gerber, the author of E-Myth Revisited, as well as E-Myth Mastery and the whole line of E-Myth books. Uh, Michael, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, uh, where can they do that? It's really easy. They can email me at Michael, my first name, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at Michael E. Gerber. Dot com. Don't forget the E, michaelegerber.com. Just email me, and we'll talk. I'll let you know what we're doing with other Christian organizations and why this is so important to the work that you do and the work that you're here to do. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, this is some great information. I know I've got a lot of homework now to go to go get to work on. But again, thank you so much for joining us today. My delight. Thanks, Jared. If we are born in the image of God, we are born to create. I'm going to get that tattooed on my face. So good. And there's so many other things you can take away from that interview. I hope you got as much out of it as we did. Now, I got to give a quick shout out to a couple special people, the iPad contest winners. And that is Pastor Troy from CRBC in Alaska and Nate Anderson from Grace Church in Minnesota. Hope you're enjoying your new iPads. Now, uh, for everybody else, the way they won those, they were following us on Twitter and Instagram and uh, Facebook, and they're connected, and, and they heard about the contest and entered. So if you don't already follow us on those things, at creative underscore sheep, give us a follow. We do giveaways and, and stuff like that on a regular basis. Again, huge thanks from me, Roman Johnson, Jared Hogue, and the whole Creative Sheep crew for listening. You guys are awesome. We'll see you next time.